Welcome to A Common Thread, the official podcast of Pittsburgh Fashion Week 2020. This podcast is sponsored by Rothschild Trading. For the best in sustainable diamonds, pay them a visit at 717 Liberty Avenue, Suite 203 in downtown Pittsburgh. For more information, visit their website at rothschildtrading.com. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Mallory Miller, and I'm very pleased to introduce Kathy Guillermo. She's the Senior Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for PETA. And if you don't know what that stands for, that is People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Today, we're going to be discussing animal testing and beauty products and a little bit on how we can all do our part to support cruelty-free beauty products. So, Kathy, getting right into it, what is animal testing? When we're talking about beauty products, we're talking about very specific tests on animals. Most of them were developed in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. They're, they're quite old. And we're talking about eye irritation tests where products are put or ingredients are put into the eyes, usually of rabbits. Skin irritation tests, which can be done using rabbits or guinea pigs. Force feeding tests inhalation tests for aerosol products, for example, where animals are forced to inhale large amounts of some kind of an aerosol product. Uh, and it's the very basic toxicology tests. So you said rabbits, but are, and that's kind of bunnies, rabbits, what we think of whenever we hear animal testing, but there aren't the only animal that's used, correct? That's right. You know, when, when PETA began working in this area of animal use 30 years ago, a little more than 30 years ago now, all kinds of animals were used, dogs, cats, monkeys. It, it was a quite a different world back then. Now, of course, I'm not saying it's better on one species than another. None of it is acceptable. But almost all of the cosmetics testing that's done on animals is with rabbits, guinea pigs, mice, and rats, sometimes fish, but that's usually for more environmental products. And I feel like there's this common misconception that animals don't feel pain during these tests, that they're administered some type of numbing medicine. Is that true? That is not true. And it's, it's unfortunate that people still believe that. We've made huge progress in this area. We've stopped a lot of this testing. But the tests that are conducted are pretty much the same that they were in 1940. There may be fewer animals used. Uh, they may not force feed animals until a full 50% of them die anymore. It may be only 20%. But the tests are done without pain relief. And Sometimes they're done to the point of the animals dying. So it is simply not true that these animals don't feel pain. In fact, we know that, that while they are very different from us physiologically, their ability to feel pain is, is very strong. And how many animals on average typically suffer or die on a yearly basis due to cosmetic testing? Well, there's good news and there's bad news there. The good news is we don't see a lot of this testing in most of the world anymore. There is still some limited testing done in Europe and Asia and the US, but for the most part, we have been able to get rid of it. Where the last real battleground is, is China. And that's because the government has required 
cosmetics tests on animals for most cosmetics products. We're making some headway there, but we're still looking at between 200 and 300,000 animals a year. And is it even necessary to test on animals? Or is there some form of substitution that people can do for this? That's the great thing. There really isn't a need for it anymore at all. And that's what most cosmetics companies will tell you now, fortunately. And, and I have to just, because I've been at PETA for so long, for 31 years now, and I remember the very early days of our campaign, and I remember very clearly the president of a major cosmetics company sitting across from me at a negotiating table and really yelling in my face, we will never stop testing on animals. You will never win this campaign. And of course he was wrong and the consumers were right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and now I've lost track of your question there. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much just, is it even necessary to test on them? Like is, what, what would be a good substitution it's not for at all animal necessary. testing? It's not at all necessary to test on animals anymore. Uh, there are tests that have been developed that can completely relate, replace animal tests. And these can be done in a test tube. For example, human skin can even be mm -hmm. grown in a test tube in a laboratory. And skin testing can be done using that. There are a whole battery of non-animal tests now that can be used. And there are companies that are set up to do it. And PETA has worked quite a bit with the Environmental Protection Agency too, so that they are phasing out the use of animal tests for many chemicals. And these are not just chemicals that go into pesticides, but they may very well be chemicals that are also used mm -hmm. in consumer products. So uh, pretty much science has come such a long way where there's almost has to be disadvantages of testing on animals. There has always been the disadvantage that tests on animals were never good predictors of what happens to humans who are exposed to products. And that's so important because when you test something on the eye of a rabbit, for example, that animal has very different eye from a human being. So it was even used in court in some cases to defend companies whose products harmed humans because they said, well, we did the animal testing as we were supposed to, but of course a rabbit's eye is not the same as a human. So it's really not our fault that we couldn't tell. So in fact, it, it, it's counterproductive. Obviously it's ethically wrong, but scientifically it's also counterproductive. What even happens to these animals if they do survive the test? They're either recycled into other tests or they're killed. Most of them are killed at the end of a, a procedure, at the end of a series of tests. So they pretty much spend their whole life being bred to be abused, um, tortured, and then if they don't die from that, they're just recycled until it happens? Yes, in, in toxicity testing, that's the case. And in fact, in all animal testing, that, that's one of the great tragedies is that from birth to death, this is the only life that virtually every animal ever knows. So I actually used to work in retail cosmetics for years, and I've noticed an influx of people that seem to be more concerned on this topic. Do you feel like you're seeing more people that are trying to shop cruelty-free? This is a consumer-driven movement, and yes, the interest in buying products not tested on animals and increasingly vegan products has been growing year by year, and it's reached the point now where even the biggest companies that 
didn't really worry about it in the past because they were just too big to weather any issues, are now very concerned and are now working toward non-animal testing policies across the board and on getting vegan products on board. And we see that also on our website, the list of cruelty-free companies on our website is the most visited page of all of our pages. And I feel like even with up and coming brands, because I'm very into the beauty community and I'm a makeup connoisseur, I feel like every time a new brand comes out, it's almost like a given that it has to be vegan, cruelty-free. That's the most wonderful trend. Voting with your dollar really does make an impact. Voting with your dollar makes all the difference in the world all the difference because any company that's getting an email from one person who says, why are you not on PETA's list of companies that don't test on animals? They not only worry about that email, they worry about all the emails that they should have gotten from other people who are concerned about the same thing. And it has been consumers right from the beginning, from 1987, that have changed this world. What exactly goes into a laboratory investigation? Well, there are different ways of doing that. When we're talking about cosmetics testing, that's a difficult world to penetrate because it is mostly done inside private laboratories. It's not always easy to get jobs in there. But if I might go back a little bit in history here, one of our very early investigations at PETA was an undercover investigation at a contract testing laboratory that did testing for a number of very well-known cosmetics and consumer products companies. And what this meant was that our person took a job inside that facility and then videotaped legally what she saw. Mm -hmm. And it's not an easy thing to do, as you can imagine, an undercover investigation. Uh, and, And yet the information is so important because that's the only way that the public is ever going to see what is happening with these products that they buy. There are other ways of doing what we call investigations, but which are a different kind of investigation. And just as one example, back in 2011, we had a whistleblower from a major cosmetics company contact us. And this person said, you know, some of the companies who are saying they don't test on animals are secretly paying the Chinese government to test their cosmetics products on animals so that they can market them there. And that was the very first anybody had ever heard of the cosmetics product test requirements in China. Mm -hmm. And so that investigation involved a whistleblower. It involved a massive amount of research. Uh, We have Chinese speakers and readers on staff, so they did a good deal of research. That's another way to do an investigation that provides the same sort of information. And you guys do work with federal regulators to stop this? We do a lot of work with regulators around the globe. Fortunately, much of the work on the cosmetics testing is is focused in China. And what we have done in that country is hire scientists who can train the government scientists there in the use of non-animal methods. And they've been very successful at that. We are now at the point where the scientific community is on board. We need the government regulators to be on board too. But it does come up in other countries as well. In the European Union, for example, many people think that any cosmetic you buy in France or Spain or Germany or England must be animal test free. 
And unfortunately, that's not mm -hmm. the case because even that very strong cosmetics regulation, which PETA and other groups worked very hard on, even that regulation has some loopholes. If a company is having its products tested on animals in China, for example, as long as it's not relying on the data from those tests to call its products safe, then the European Union looks the other way. And there are some tests for environmental reasons as well. And so we're working very hard right now with regulators in the European Union to close up those loopholes so that consumers there know that it really means something when they try to obey the, the regulations and follow what's being publicly stated about cosmetics. And PETA has some success stories with big businesses, namely Dove, becoming cruelty-free. Tell me a little bit about how that victory was achieved. The, the Dove victory was a long time in coming. We, we worked for quite a few years with the company that owns Dove. And, you know, it was really one of the more satisfying projects that I've worked on because the company came to us and they said, look, we know that our consumers want Dove products to be animal test free, what do we need to do to achieve that? And it was no small thing because part of our requirement is that any company that we consider cruelty free or animal test free must ensure that none of its suppliers are testing their ingredients on animals. And for some of these big multinational companies, we're talking about thousands and thousands of suppliers. And so these companies have to have agreements in place with every supplier that there's no animal testing at that level. They have to make sure that every one of sometimes hundreds of countries they sell in is not doing any post-market testing, you know, taking products off the shelf and testing them on animals, for example. Um, they have to make sure that if they're selling in China, they're selling only in the way that we know can be done so that it doesn't trigger an animal test requirement. So it took quite a few years of negotiations and discussions before we got to that point. But it's amazing from, from my perspective that you can go into a drugstore or a supermarket and you can look at a Dove product and know, okay, not tested on animals now. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know, and I didn't even realize this whenever I was working in the retail cosmetic industry, that there are umbrella companies who are not cruelty-free, but they will have a brand under their belt that is cruelty-free. So what are your thoughts on that? Is it worth shopping that cruelty-free brand if in the end the money is still going into the larger pot of an umbrella company that is still testing on animals? Well, that's a really good question. And I think that's one issue that consumers should ponder and decide for themselves what is most important. But what I can say from our perspective is this, it's been an ever-changing world over the last few decades. And we have tried to adapt to recognize the good things that companies do. So for example, we used to certify only companies that had every single product in the company non-animal tested. And there was a very good reason for doing that, of course. It made sense. It would, would push the company to make every product non-animal tested. So that was important. Mm -hmm. Things began to change because we would have one company that did not test on animals who was then purchased by another bigger company. And that bigger company said, well, we want to continue the policies 
of this of this smaller company. And so we then began to work with that. We've now gone to certifying brands because they are so separate in many cases from the rest of the products in the companies. I think the benefit to this is that if a brand that has a policy against animal testing does very well, then that is a very mm -hmm. clear communication to the heads of those corporations that it matters. And we've seen that that is the case. So if you were going to shop cruelty-free, how can you know that your products are? Um, you hear about the bunny logo a lot. So what exactly is the bunny logo? Right, there, there are a couple of logos out there that I think are, are good. One is ours, uh, the PETA logo, and there is another uh, organization that does the Leaping Bunny logo, and I think theirs is good too. What it means for us is that a company has signed legally binding documents that they do not test on animals at any phase of development, and they don't hire anybody to do the testing that they have legally binding agreements in place with their suppliers not to test on animals. And listing with us, and the, the lists are available on our website, is no cost. But a company can also choose to put a designation on their product. And for that, we have various logos that are available. And I say various logos mm -hmm. because that, again, reflects the changing world market. We used to have just a single logo of a bunny. We've updated that logo. And it is different in the European Union because of the belief there that no animal testing ever takes place with those products. And we've had to adapt that to fit in with the European regulation. But it's a way for companies to show their consumers at a glance that they're listed with us, that they banned animal testing, and they're committed to it. But there are brands that don't have that logo, though, that are cruelty-free. That's right. It's not at all a requirement. The cost is a one-time $350 fee to use the logo, but it's not at all required. And so the very best way to know is to consult the lists online. Mm -hmm. So my final question, what can we do in people listening to help and stop this other than voting with your dollar? Every time a company hears from a consumer, it is very important. And in some ways it's even more important than, than just what you buy and don't buy. I don't want to discount that because that's also crucial. But companies take it very seriously when they're hearing from consumers. So if you want to purchase a product and it's not on our animal test-free list, get in touch with that 800 number that's listed on the back of nearly all products or the email address mm -hmm. and ask them, well, what's your policy and why aren't you on PETA's list? And that really makes a huge difference. A number of states in the U.S. have passed legislation banning cosmetics tests. Some of these have loopholes. Some of them don't. But in general, it's very good to support this legislation because it, it, it sends a very clear message to the corporations that this matters to consumers. They started off fighting this legislation. They've backed down quite a bit on that now. Uh, so supporting legislation, banning cosmetics testing, and getting in touch with companies. Those are two really important things. Perfect. All right, Kathy, I just want to thank you for hopping on this call and lending us your knowledge today. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure, and I hope people go to PETA.org. They'll see a link to our, our list of companies, and if they have any questions, they can get in touch. Thank you for listening to A Common Thread, the official podcast of Pittsburgh Fashion Week 2020. This podcast is sponsored by Rothschild Training. 
located at 717 Liberty Avenue, Suite 203 in downtown Pittsburgh. For the best in sustainable diamonds from a company built on accountability, honesty, and integrity, go check them out. And for more information, visit RothschildTrading.com.